for the underground to rise. If y'all are feeling me, throw your fist up, let me hear you say what? Come on! podcast dude they thought they could bury us jason michael they were they were wrong they didn't know we were they talk a lot (laughs) we are back for episode number four 18 months after episode number three oh long time it's been a minute we shouldn't have left you without a dope podcast to step to (laughs) how you been this is solidarity radio episode number four 18 months since the last one? Thereabouts. We recorded our last episode right before Janus, like a week before the Janus decision. When was that? That was, uh, I believe it, that was uh, summer of 2018. Wow. Must okay, so almost a year and a half ago, yeah. Right, because it's now November of 2019. About a what? What are we? We are literally... The world hasn't blown up yet. Six days Amazingly. Until, six days until Thanksgiving. Yeah, yeah. The world hasn't blown up yet. Nope. That's a plus. We're still standing. That's a definite positive. Yeah. We're not sure about long term. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot up in the air right now. A lot of crazy, crazy things in the world. But in the meantime, it's the holidays. Happy holidays, Jason Michael. Happy holidays, Ted James. Um... This this will be our season finale, is that right? Yeah, season finale. Um, I think that, you know, given that we are putting out content at the <laughs> the greatest snail's pace in the history of podcasting. Um, yeah, the fans are screaming. <laughs> yeah, all two of them. Yeah. <laughs> yep, they're screaming for more content. Um, and, you know... It would be amazing if we like could record a pad- podcast a week or a podcast a month or even a podcast a year. That'd be pretty cool. We would need sponsors. Sponsors like Adelitas y Cochinas. Oh, Adelitas! Mexican restaurant. Just ate there. Just ate there. Pre-podcast they, they, meal. It was fantastic. We've, we've mentioned them in previous podcasts, but they did not. Uh, say anything to us about it. So you're saying theoretically that if Adelitas um, sponsored this podcast, the Adelitas on South Broadway and Louisiana in Denver, Colorado, if they sponsored this podcast, we might be able to put one out more often. They kind of already did. Yeah. There's a lot of their food in my tummy right now. Yeah, that's true. Um, and a couple of rum and cokes. And they gave me a free beer, and that's yeah. always positive. Yeah, how was that beer? Was it good? Yeah, it was a Modelo. Modelo's nice. Now, it's not as good, of course, as if, you know, theoretically, Elysium Space Dust IPA sponsored the podcast. Get space dusted with Elysium Space Dust IPA. 
What did the guy at the store say when we bought these? It was like 8%. Yeah, 8.5%, something like that. Um, there it is, 8.2% by volume. The uh, the logo is, what is that? Is it a... Uh, it's like a moon. No, what's the what's the vegetable you eat by the leaves? Um, it's only in Asparagus? season, right? No, no. Artichoke. It's an artichoke. artichoke. It's an it's artichoke. artichoke vomiting space dust. Yeah. Hence the name Elysian Space Dust, yep. IPA. Get space dusted tonight on Elysian. Yep. Get space dusted and listen to Solidarity. So, Radio. yeah, if we, had, if we had sponsors, then, you know, we'd have salaries. And if we yeah. had salaries, we could do this, you know, on the regular. Like, you know, we could... But since we don't... We, we could do to, it... We could, like, put out a new podcast, like, you know, three or four times a week, even. Yeah, yeah. Pod save America? No, pod save labor, sir. Yeah, pod save or labor. Or You know what's or funny? You just they. mentioned pod save America. Um, total non sequitur, and maybe we'll edit this out in post-production. Yeah. But uh, the night, or the day, election day 2016, um, this was pre-pod save America, but I heard those guys on a podcast on election day 2016. And, uh, you know, these are all former Obama acolytes that, um, you know, have really, you know, strong ties to the, you know, the, the tech, uh, bohemets out in Silicon Valley, you know, they're all buddy, buddy with the Googles and the Facebooks and Uh the Amazons of the world. Anyway, um, so these guys were on a podcast, Election Day 2016, and they could not have been any more arrogant about how there was no chance that Hillary Clinton was going to lose the election. Oh, there's a lot of that, though, all yeah. around, I think. Yeah, yeah. That wasn't uh, unique to them, I don't... Uh, no, no, I'm not... I still never listened to the Pod Save America. Yeah. If, you, uh, if you listen to this podcast... You know that I don't know anything about podcasts, right? <laughs> right. So um, that's what makes you a brilliant podcast. Yeah, host. well, I'm just talking here, right? right like right. I don't know. We're just we're just hanging out, uh, having the same conversation we'd be having if there wasn't a hot mic. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, um, now I forgot where I was going with this, which is why I'm so bad at podcasts. Oh, you were saying how that was probably not unique to Pod Save America. Oh, right, right. And I haven't listened to Pod Save America. It's the only one I can think of when you ask me, like, about what the most famous podcasts are these days. Right. Solidarity Radio. Of course. Pod Save America. Yeah. But I don't and think... And then Joe Rogan has one, doesn't he? Yeah, Joe Rogan's in the game. That's yeah, for he's sure. got a good one, actually, that a lot of people listen yeah. to, right? I listen to, uh, um, I listen to Bill Simmons a lot. It's a sport... He's the sports guy, but he's got a pretty good... Pretty good podcast. He doesn't just do sports. He also does pop culture. So shout out to Bill Simmons. Bill Simmons. <coughs> this podcast you know, is sponsored in part by Bill Simmons. Um, yes. <laughs> um, he, you know, he's got to figure out how to get that Elysium endorsement. You know, Space dust. you got to get space dusted to get that. Get space dusted tonight on Elysium. Inter- interestingly enough, another non sequitur. Um... Bill Simmons owns a website called The Ringer. Um, which that he, sounds familiar. Yeah, he, he created that when he left ESPN. Um, but I believe that recently The Ringer staff um, 
either unionized or um, tried to unionize. I, I, I wasn't following along close enough. How dare to, you bring union talk into this union podcast? Yeah. I wasn't following along close enough to know the outcome, but I'm pretty sure like they were going through a unionization process at the Ringer. So and that's, and that's cool. a, an organization of what? Of uh, communications folks? Yeah, they are journalists. Um, journalists. Oh, yeah. that's like, okay, yeah, yeah. we're going to talk about that later, aren't yeah, we? About yeah, that's new, a New organizing. That's a, that's a sneaky plug for later in the show. <laughs> All right, so we just spent 10 minutes on a five-minute intro. <laughs> yeah. Perfectly fine. Now, we said we were going to leap into labor notes. Yeah. And you're going to kick this one off. Okay. Uh, so you want to describe the format for the listeners? So it looks like we have about five different uh, uh, current events in labor, organized labor, and you're going to uh, break it down for us in like two to three minutes. Um, I'm going to shut up and you, you give us the breakdown, debrief us, right? Yeah. Uh, and then for a minute or two after each that, uh, after that on each topic... Uh, I'll try to, you know, if there's any clarifying questions or what else can you tell us about that. Uh, so are you ready? I'm ready. Let's do this Not thing. quite the hot seat. You don't have to rush through like we do at the end of each podcast episode. Um, which, again, later in the podcast, we might do that. Yep. Another would you rather round. Would you rather. Hey, better to be on the hot seat than the broken seat, which is what we were just currently yep. dealing with. Yep. Yep. Just broke a computer chair, so yep. shout out to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so in no particular order, yep. right? You want these just one yeah. by one? Bring it. All right, here we go. And this is in like kind of a shorthand for me, so uh, Southern Poverty Law Center. <coughs> oh, okay. Tell us about Southern Poverty Law Center. So, um, Southern Poverty Law Center um, obviously is a... Um, a progressive organization fighting for um, racial, economic, social justice. But uh, recently, they have, um, you know, had their employees um, work on um, trying to form an employee union um, at the SPLC. Um, and uh, the employees, I believe it was a week, maybe 10 days ago, asked for voluntary recognition and, um, you know, you would suspect um, that in 2019, any kind of progressive civil rights social justice organization um, that um, believes in living its core values would be completely happy to voluntarily recognize their employees union. Um, you know, I think... When it comes to economic justice, um, the labor movement and um, being pro-union is uh, an important part of living progressive values, um, and at least that is the sentiment, I believe, of this next generation of young people that are understanding how important the labor movement is as they continue to advance um, in the workforce. So... Um, it's really, really unfortunate, but um, the SPL the SPLC um, um, rejected their employees' request for voluntary recognition, and are forcing them 
to go into an election process and have also, um, to my understanding, hired union avoidance um, law firm to, um, to, to wage an anti-union campaign. Wow. Uh, there you have it, folks. <laughs> I just always wanted to say that. <laughs> there you have it, folks. Good night. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I get all choked up. All right. Yeah. Now, let me ask you this. Yeah. Do you know when a unit like that seeks recognition? Do they talk about why they asked for recognition or what inspired them or prompted them to seek recognition? Yep. Were their wages and working conditions subpar? Yep. Um, so, um, so my understanding, um, uh, based on the research I've done is that, um, after Donald Trump got elected, um, especially in the late fall of 2016 and the first part of 2017, um, there was like a, like astronomical increase in the amount of contributions from concerned citizens to, organizations like the SPLC. Um, I know my wife and I donated to them during that period several times, um, you know, because they're, they do important work, you know, they, uh, they're, you know, they're providing legal services to, um, ensure justice in our courts. They're, you know, they're organizing, um, they're fighting on behalf of, um, social, racial, economic justice, as I've stated earlier, um, so, uh, my understanding on the research is that like, essentially their, um, their operating budget based on, you know, most nonprofits like that, um, rely on donations from supporters and their, um, donations went through the roof. Um, so their capacity increased as an organization, as far as their, you know, their budget is concerned. And yet wages and, um, and benefits for frontline staff um, remain flat since that period. Um, so they essentially, um, they've had an economic boom in their budget, but they haven't like shared that prosperity with the frontline staff. All right. Now, hard question here. If the staff were paid more because of the economic success of the fundraising Right. Side, would the organization then be up against criticism of having uh, heavy overhead? Uh-huh. Um, I mean, I think there's potentially an argument to be made for that if, uh, if they went too far in the other direction, right? Like if they um, were an organization where so much of the resources was devoted to making sure that, um, the staff was living, you know, f more than comfortably. Yeah. You could argue yeah. that it takes away from the mission. Right. But I so think bargaining goes so well for the unit. Right. That um, they, uh, <laughs> become a drain on company resources, but that's not 
ever the case, really. That, yeah, that was it's nowhere near the case right. in, in this instance. I believe they were still paying a lot of their frontline staff like below, you know, uh, li- a living wage. So. Right. So just getting to the living wage. Right. Yep. Okay. Get living wage. Pro- I don't I mean I'm obviously I'm not connected to this campaign as an organizer, so I don't. But you're a donor, you said, and so right. does it affect? your decision to continue to contribute absolutely Uh, much in like in the case of uh, the Planned Parenthood of the Rocky Mountains that we talked about on a previous episode um, which was way back in time yeah yeah (laughs) but yeah um, when they tried to bust their employees uh, union I haven't personally um, contributed to Planned Parenthood since then um, I don't, I don't think my wife has, um, I'm not a hundred percent sure she hasn't, but, uh, yeah, I mean, a, a, you know, a progressive nonprofit drawing a line to say that, you know, generally unions and the labor movement are good for, you know, advancing progressive causes. And we're happy to work in partnership with those organizations to advance progressive causes, but we don't need a a union in our own house. No. <laughs> I mean, I, I just can't, I can't get down with that. I'm sorry. You got to live your values. Yeah. <clears throat> like, um, and it's, you have to, ha- you have to have faith in the system. Right. Enough that you trust that, or, let, uh, that organizing openly with your, uh, workforce, um, is overall better for the organization than worse. You that you should want it. You shouldn't. You shouldn't. You shouldn't not only be resisting it. You should be like proactively seeking it. Right. Because an organized uh, workforce is like a synergistic workforce that does more than the sum of all their parts. Exactly. Um. And, and I and I think I've seen that in action. Like I think AT and T, um, organized bargained uh, employees. Um. They they do. Uh. They do show up. Yeah. You know, uh, they come into work every day. They work really hard uh, under a lot of pressure because the, the, the telecom sales um, is, is kind of a pressure cooker uh, as far as trying to meet goals and things like that. Um, but, yeah, I know the AT&T folks and then they had a contract. So they had like really well uh, outlined wages and working conditions. And um, generally they like to work there. Uh, it wasn't a long-term uh, type of uh, job. They would typically be in for like a couple of years, plus or minus, and then go out. Yeah. But, um, uh, yeah, the unions make a difference. Yeah. Yeah. And so... So organizations should be seeking them out, yeah. especially those who are nonprofits with uh, aligned... Uh, philosophies yeah. and interests and things. Yeah. So, and I think we need to do a better job as a movement or as, um, you know... Um, organized workers and pro-union workers that would love to have a union in their own workplace to say that we're paying attention. If if you're a progressive organization or if you're a corporation that purports to care about um, advancing progressive causes, then, um, you know, part of those values means being pro-union and offering your employees a fair pathway to unionization, if not an easy pathway for them to just make that democratic choice on their own, like something like a neutrality agreement or when they've already demonstrated 
a majority of support just granting the recognition. It's not that complicated. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just neutrality, like AT&T, you right. know, uh, where you say, I'm not going to intervene. Um, uh, I'm not going to uh, help. You know, you organize, you uh, figure out what it is you want to ask or to make your, you know, your demands for for your collective bargaining, right? Right. And then we will set a table. Exactly. And then then we get to sit and and hammer it all out. And, you know, it's a huge benefit for a company large and small because that contract was for four years. So you you, you get to know, like, what your cost structure is going to look like from that end. Um, I just, it, it, it boggles my mind why, um, companies think an organized workforce is a negative thing. Yeah. You know, I, if we could, if we could flip a script or or a switch, you know, it would be to make unions like desirable again. Right. Like an employer who goes, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even think of building a business that that didn't have a, a workforce that had each other's backs. They could tell me, you know, through one person what all of them are thinking and doing. Right. You know, like it makes it makes the boss's job like so much easier because there's so much more self-solving for problems and things. Yep. Um, but but you know, we'll talk about that later too with like yeah. you know future endeavors and things and and trying to incorporate pro union. Right. Uh, from the get-go on those. Um, Hit the next topic. Yeah, so we'll go to next topic. I wish we had a sound effects machine. Yeah. If there was an app on the phone that could make them, there's oh, times man. where I would like, you know, do like a wah, 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 <laughs> you know, stuff like that. There's got to be an app for that. Um, all right, so do you want to jump into the next uh, topic? Yep. Okay, uh, wave of journalists. We touched on it uh, during the intro. Go ahead and uh, let's do a, a three minutes on that, shall we? Oh man, uh, yeah, let's do it. So just since um, October eleventh, which is what month and a half ago? Yeah, like forty-five days. Last forty-five days, um, the Arizona Republic. Won a union election, or the journalists at the Arizona Republic, um, workers at uh, the Daily Progress um, won a union, workers at the Columbian in Washington State won a union, and just yesterday, the Miami Herald unionized with a vote of 66 to 24. So the best music. (laughs) Why am I yelling? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So those are all organizing wins. Yeah. So like right now, Uh, the News Guild of CWA is like every other week, they're like doing their best DJ Khaled. They're like another one. Another one. (laughs) Another one. (laughs) Throw your hands up. Yeah. Uh, okay, so big wins, and it's all uh, journalism side. Yep. Oh, not, I mean, it's it's a lot of, uh, you know, it's a lot of newsrooms, it's a lot of digital newsrooms, um, social media departments in, uh, you know, in uh, the digital media companies, stuff like that. 
Um, Are there still print media? Yeah, there's. I mean, like a lot of those were newspapers, traditional newsrooms that are unionizing. And I think one of the catalysts for this is the um, Trump administration's attack on journalism and the free press. Right? Yeah. I think uh, that's one of the catalysts for this. Um, you know, it's kind of driven journalists together into like a bunker solidarity mentality where, you know, we've got to, we've got to, um, fight and organize for more protections on the job. Okay. Um, that makes sense. And the other catalyst for it is like the consolidation of, um, of newspapers under corporate control. Um, and you know, like hedge funds, buying up newspapers, Amazon owning the Washington Post, you know, like more and more, um, more and more, uh, newspapers and digital outlets are being bought up and consolidated by these giant corporate, um, you know, there's uh, like six, right. I believe clear channel communications yeah. who were not sponsored by and probably never would be. Uh, but I believe they're one of the large, largest clear channel. They do a lot more radio and t- I think television. Radio, yeah. yeah, yeah. They, yeah. they might do some in publishing. But six, like six corporations own all of the media, the print, right. the, 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 the digital, the whatever. So, um, so now more than ever, it's important for newsrooms and other teams to organize. Right. To protect themselves and by protecting each other. Right. And I think it's also one of those like things where, um, you know, they just caught, they caught um, like lightning in a bottle and like one paper inspired the next. If they did it, we can do it too. And then the next. And now it's snowballing and it's just like, um, my understanding is that the News Guild is getting more organizing leads then they have the capacity to handle because so many like it's just like an industry-wide movement to become a union industry that's freaking sweet another one do you see it happen that way in other industries i don't know i think that's a good segue into one of the other topics we wanted to talk about because um some history was made yesterday in the telecom industry when um, the first ever T-Mobile retail store voted um, in CWA uh, for union representation uh, was a, uh, a retail location in Pinal, California. Um, I believe they won the vote seven to two. Um, and it's the first unionized um, T-Mobile retail store in the country. So that's pretty amazing. So our hope is that it could be like inspiring to other retail groups that are organizing through T-Mobile Workers United or organizing through, you know, our wireless Workers United program to say, hey, that store did it. We can do it, too. Um, and maybe that'll start a snowball of like, you know, small pockets of the, um, you know, the wireless industry becoming union in both T-Mobile and Verizon in the same way that we um, have a company-wide union for AT&T Mobility. Yeah, now uh, there was, was there not a T-Mobile store, but a Metro PCS store in the Bronx? Yeah, that's a good point. There's a... Shout out to those guys there's gals. The Metro PCS store was the first that... um, um, the store, the first retail 
location that's owned by you know T-Mobile's um, as a company to unionize. And there's also been a couple examples of Verizon Wireless stores unionizing. I think also in the Northeast, but uh, yeah, good stuff. <clears throat> yeah, and in other news, hey John Ledger, you like apples? <laughs> you out, my friend. How you like them apples? <laughs> Do you care to explain (laughs) a little bit more about that? Yeah. Uh, So it was just announced, I think, on Monday that um, John Ledger will be replaced as CEO of T-Mobile, I think, in April of 2020 by COO Mike Sievert. Um, John Ledger um, was rumored to potentially be going to WeWork um, uh, uh, to become their new CEO, but I think those rumors... um, dissipated and of course the company and John Ledger are spinning this as a um, mutual parting and this was always part of the plan to advance Mike Sievert I'm gonna stay on the board and whatnot but um, I think there was a lot of frustration in his inability to ram through the um, merger with uh, with Sprint and he has CWA to thank for his inability to do that, at least in large part. Um, so, yeah. So you're welcome, Johnny. Um, I'll still watch Slow Kicker Sundays. <laughs> Slow Kicker Sundays, yeah, yeah, I've seen those. Still going to watch that, my friend. I-, I would say if only he had opened the door to organizing the labor right, in a way that truly made... T-Mobile, the greatest place to work. Yeah. Because they led the way, the, the frontline workers, on how to make wages and working conditions that make them wake up in the morning and they can't wait to come to work. Mm-hmm. I know there's folks who like their job well yep. enough. Yeah. But still... Um, at the end of the day, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't continue to work there if they didn't have to, you know? Right. Um, yeah, I think that's completely right. Um, you know, I, I think John Ledger through cult of personality tried to make this like culture of we're the rebel, um, we're the rebel wireless carrier and like do a lot of like big, loud, like events where you would show up at a T-Mobile call center and throw a party and like, yeah. So there was definitely a lot of employees that really admired him and like thought he was being bold and innovative. Right. And he did do a lot on the consumer side to like completely shift the industry. Right. He, I mean, he, Deserves the credit for breaking this the two year um, phone contracts. Nothing would have been more uncarrier than to openly organize your workforce and become un union un onion labor <laughs> onion, onion labor. So I mean that was always my argument. Uh, you know I did the parody John Ledger account. It's like if you really want to be like this millennial like inspiring badass that's like because they did a lot to you know yeah, be for, pro-union in a time when everybody else is anti right that's how you're the uncarrier that's how that's right. how you zig when everyone else zags exactly and um that was never a part of the uh program for john ledger i used to call him a 
you know, a corporatist wolf in hipster clothing, right? Like, um, his devotion was always to the shareholders and not the employees. His, in evidence by the way they tried to um, ram home a merger that all um, reliable research suggests would um, cost 10,000 jobs and would also depress wages by about 7% if this merger with Sprint gets final approval. So we're continuing to fight that uh, with an AG lawsuit that's coming up. Um, that'll, that'll trial, I believe, start in the spring of 2020, um, like early in the spring. It might actually start in December uh, because I know um, the um, state attorney general lawsuit is basically the only thing at this point stopping um, the merger from being completed. Um, they've gotten final uh, approval from the FCC and the Justice Department, so um, it's really up to these states' attorney generals uh, to try to block a merger that is anti-competitive, bad for consumers, and, and it's definitely horrific for workers. <laughs> <laughs> um so what's the next topic <laughs> well uh let's see uh how about got two left here uh janice update oh that's a good one so um as last we left you loyal listeners of solidarity radio when we last saw you in episode three I believe it was, uh, must have been like, I want to say May or June of 2018. Well, anyway, I remember in our last episode, it was like, we were going to get the Janus ruling, like literally within a week, maybe in a couple days after we recorded the episode. And so we talked about the Janus decision as if it were a foregone conclusion and it was going to, it was going to be, um you know, go into law based on a 5-4 Supreme Court decision. That's exactly what happened. And um, I think, you know, the right-wing corporate um, forces that, um, you know, ran Mark Janice to... Woo, books are falling over. The ghost is loose. The, <laughs> the space cats, dust. The cats are running around outside the studio. Space dust. Was Juliet walking by? Yeah. Oh, yeah. cool. Um, so, um, you know, the corporate interests that ran Mark Janus and rammed this thing through on a 5-4 decision on partisan lines, um, they, uh, thought this was going to be like a death blow to the labor movement. Um, essentially what the, the Janus decision decided is that it took away fair share, um, fees for public employee unions meaning that the entire nation for public employees is right to work. So that means you can um, work in a union shop, benefit from a union contract, um, have, the, um, have the access to union representation, and you don't have to pay anything for that. You get it all for free if you don't want to be a dues-paying member. Um, by the way, I don't think I... Um, obviously didn't mention this on the last podcast because um, we hadn't gotten the final decision from the court yet, but um, Neil Gorsuch from here in Colorado, in his confirmation hearing, um, testified to the fact that it was not 
um, the role of the court, and it was not his intention, should he make it to the Supreme Court, to upend existing precedent. Um, and um, essentially what the um, Janus versus AFSCME decision did was exactly that. First chance he got after committing not to upend precedent in his confirmation hearings, first chance he got on a labor case, he upended existing precedent. Because this was a settled issue, settled law in the case of Detroit versus Abood from the 1970s that um, fair share fees were illegal and constitutional. And so Neil Gorsuch, on almost day one, violated the commitments he made in his confirmation hearing. All right, now to clarify, um, it's constitutional at the federal level, but states have the right to be uh, right to work um, or, or uh, you know, versus fair share states. Yeah, for private sector. Now in the public sector, it doesn't. states don't have the option to, to be a fair share state. Oh, right. So just for public sector. Right. This Janus decision affects all public sector workers. All public sector workers are right to work. And the public sector is what's more heavily organized still, right? 33% yep. or so. Yeah. So... You know, the, in the private sector, you know, with the 40-year, um, you know, corporate agenda to destroy labor unions and the labor movement in the United States, we've been reduced in the private sector to 7% or less. Actually, 6-point-something percent of private sector workers belong to a union. Um, but the density was still way, way bigger and stronger in public sector Um um, I believe it is still over 30%. And so the intention of this decision was this could be um, the death knell to the labor movement, right? We, we, knock out, um, we knock out fair share fees in the public sector, that, which is way more heavily unionized in the private sector than all these um, you know, big national unions are going to lose tens of millions of dollars in revenue every year, and that could cripple the movement even further. So uh, I'm happy to report um, being in the front lines of this fight through C CWA strong internal organizing that, um, you know, actually the reverse has happened. It's, a, it's kind of been uh, an opportunity once we lost fair share fees in the public sector for unions to go out there and do the hard work of talking to our members and um, giving them a vision and a reason why being a union member is vitally important. And so rather than um, losing all of these um, fee payers and all the revenue, what we've actually been able to do is increase union membership and recoup a lot of the um, the lost dues money that we, you know, lost in a single, um, a single decision of the Supreme Court by t talking to the people who had been fee payers were now non-members and convincing them to join the union and be not only a dues-paying member but active and vocal and and um, building that solidarity with their coworkers. So we've actually. Um, been able to um, use it as a uh, you know as a way to um, become even stronger as a movement in my opinion um, and we're not only just you know because we started having to have that like acute focused plan on how to deal with internal organizing 
for our public sector units, it's also allowed us to realize and uh, figure out how to um, to really do internal organizing in a meaningful, um, similar way in the private sector units. So we're not only just organizing the um, the now non-members that were fee payers in public sector, we're, we're organizing wall to wall across all our units to make sure every single person that's represented by a union contract has a face-to-face conversation with um, with somebody from their union to make sure they know how important it is for them to be a part of it and for them to get involved. Yeah. <laughs> Word. Uh, all Janice right. made us stronger. Yep. They thought they could bury us. They didn't know we were seeds. <laughs> all right, so I hope that every decision that comes out going forward actually makes us stronger when its intention was to make us weaker. Right. Um, so may long live, long live Janice. Yeah. Good on you, Mark Janice. By the way, soon after um, the lawsuit um, met its ultimate conclusion with a 5-4 Supreme Court decision, Mark Janice left his, um, I believe he was I believe he was a teacher in a school district. He left his public employee job and went to work for the Right to Work Foundation. So, oh, so um, yeah, he didn't have um, ulterior motives in any way. Hashtag shape. look into it. I, you, we all know that you know Mark Janice's reasons for waging the lawsuit in the first place were. Um, you know, they were all cooked up on his own accord and he really cares that much about public service and free speech. Right, Mark Janice? <laughs> and last but not least, I have here a note to talk about NLRB slash Eugene Scalia. Ah, Eugene Scalia. Yeah, they snuck that one in. Um... While all of us uh, on the left and in the center of this country were uh, were so focused on the daily antics of Donald Trump and the march to um, the impeachment proceedings that we're in now, and we'll talk about a little later in the pod, um, you know, while all that was happening in the pay no attention to the man behind the curtain lane... Um, the United States Congress confirmed Eugene Scalia, um, son of An- Anthony Scalia, um, the the deceased Supreme Court justice, uh, right wing conservative, pro business Supreme Court justice. Um, they confirmed his son as the new um, Secretary of Labor for the United States of America. As many of y'all know, um, the previous Labor Secretary, Alexander Acosta, was caught up in the Jeffrey Epstein scandal because he was a prosecutor on um, a previous, um, you know, case against Epstein where he gave him a really light sentence. Does that ring a bell to you? Well, uh, (coughs) no. No, no, no. I, I, I had not followed All right, well, at any rate, the previous Labor Secretary had to resign because um, because 
of his connections to uh, not doing the right thing with Jeffrey Epstein um, 10 years ago in New York uh, on a previous case 10 years or so ago. Um, so um, once he was forced to resign out of pressure and then um, Trump nominated um, Eugene Scalia to replace him as labor secretary. Um, Eugene Scalia has spent his career, um, you know, uh, fighting unions, hostile to unions, representing pro-business, representing corporate interests, um, and has no business running the Department of Labor. Yet, he was confirmed easily without much of a backlash at all and uh, very much public scrutiny, so... That that's uh, that's just standard operating procedure for this administration, isn't it? Yep. You always hire the <clears throat> exact opposite of what everybody else thought you were going to. Mm-hmm. Yep. Hire the education secretary who never went to public school. Right. <laughs> right. Hire the um, the, um, the housing and urban development secretary who's never needed a voucher right in their life hire somebody to run the EPA that um, you know has been one of the biggest polluters in the oil and gas industry yeah that's kind of the uh, formula right so now you got labor right um, yeah and if you remember originally his first nominee for labor secretary was the um, the uh, CEO of Hardee's, Carl's Jr. Uh-huh. But at that time, right after the uh, election and inauguration, um, Democrats and progressives were organized and mobilized enough to like kill that nomination before he could uh, get confirmed. So, so yeah, great track record for Trump as far as upholding those promises to be uh, on the side of working people and working families. Anybody out there still drinking the Kool-Aid on that one? <laughs> well, that's all I uh, can see uh, from what we put down for labor notes. Bow, 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 bow. Close it out. <laughs> Should we take a commercial break to talk sure. about Elysian and how you can get space dusted as your cat tries to climb out of a closed window? <laughs> she must have had some Elysian. <laughs> <laughs> Elysian, get space dusted tonight. Um, we're also sponsored, in part, by Adelitas. Adelitas y Cochinas. <laughs> get your grub on at Adelitas. Yep, have a margarita with some uh, muddled jalapeno today. The uh, chips and salsa and guacamole were really good. The drinks were really strong. Yeah. I had a rum and coke, and it was like really a lot of rum. Yeah. Um, dinner was good. The, the uh, chili rellenos. Yeah. Yeah, and then there was like a twist on it because like there were two, and one was cheese and one was mushroom. Nice. Both were good. So I'd probably just do the cheese next time. Mushroom was good though. Yeah. Right on. Adelitas. 
Fill up. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so what are we going into next, Jason Michael? Okay. Uh, we were on from labor notes to in other news. In other news. Boo, 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 boo. So another. In news was meant to go from like labor notes where you're touching on uh, elements of of national politics and things. Yeah. Um, to going straight into national politics and how uh, organized labor, you know, is is connected and why it's important and how it's important and things of that nature. So, in other news, in other news, uh, we've got two two categories here. Uh, the first one is impeachment hearings. Mm. Hot topic right now. Yep. What can you tell us about them? Let's not pretend. I actually don't watch the impeachment hearings. Okay. So I don't have to pretend that I, I don't know what's going on. I really don't. So in this segment, you break it down. We'll give you like, you know, two, three minutes, whatever you need. And by the end, you want to be able to convey to the person who hears this. A, a quick, you know, Reader's Digest summary of everything you need to know. Okay. Right? Well, I'm not the biggest expert on... Uh, the, you are in this room. <laughs> on the impeachment here. Hey, how do you know Josie isn't... My cat watches a lot of television. It's possible. Um, okay, so, um, yeah, like you, I haven't had a lot of time to just sit and watch the impeachment hearings, but essentially, uh, right now, the... Um, Democratic-controlled House of Representatives is holding hearings um, um, soliciting testimony from witnesses to Trump's um, potentially or alleged um, unconstitutional and illegal behavior in regards to the Ukraine. Um, So the allegation is that he... um, our president, you know, essentially threatened to withhold aid um, unless the Ukraine helped him, uh, or not, helped him by opening up an investigation into Joe and Hunter Biden um, on allegations of corruption, um, and of course, um, these allegations are not substantiated. Um, there, you know, there was uh, no need to have such an investigation. So, Trump's motives were politically motivated. Essentially, that um, long and short of it is that he was putting his own personal political interests ahead of the um, safety and security of the United States of America. Pretty silly, pretty serious allegation. So. Um, and spoiler alert, the motherfucker did it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what else to tell you. Anybody that wants to argue anything differently is just living in a bubble. Um, and it's, you know, pretty sad that um, so many people on the right uh, are elected officials who have sworn an oath to uphold our Constitution would put whether it's for their own political careers or out of fear or some deranged sense of loyalty um, to this leader, um, you know, that they would, uh, um, you know, essentially, uh, you know, not uphold their constitutional 
oath and uh, try to undermine this process by talking about conspiracy theories or um, making arguments about unlimited presidential power or acting like it wasn't that big of a deal in the first place. Whatever the Republican talking points are, um, history is going to prove them to be in the same vein as have you no decency, sir, during the McCarthy hearings. You all are, especially the ones in the Senate that, um, you know, are senators that are going to have to um, vote to keep this man in office and put their name on record with that vote. You're going down in the history books as traitors to our country, in my opinion. Strong words, sir. Hey, we keep it hard. We keep it a hundred here on Solidarity Radio. <laughs> All right, uh, I'm gonna hit you with the devil's advocate style questions. Sometimes yep. here, right, and uh, regarding impeachment hearings, um, is this like a wag the dog or a, or political theater, as you touched on before? Um, something to distract us from something else that's actually going on in the world. Oh, I'm sure there's a huge element to that. I mean, um, it is frustrating that on the corporate news outlets, this is all they cover nonstop, this in the election. Um, there's plenty of other newsworthy stuff um, that needs our attention. Um, but, I mean, to me, uh, you know... This Ukraine thing is just a drop in the bucket for Donald Trump. He's done like a hundred different impeachable things. He is unfit for office. We've known that since before the election. Anybody that would have voted for him after seeing the Access Hollywood tape, I have no idea how you could like justify that one and, and allow that man to be the example of what is decent in this country for, the, for our ch- children in the next generation like that in and of itself should have been disqualifying i think those voters who voted for trump anyway don't hold the office of the president to the high standards that you and i would right they want a president who's more like them like more in their own image right Mm -hmm. and by gosh like we're all just middle class like you know, working, um, playing um, Americans, and um, no, we're not perfect, um, and neither does our president need to be. Okay, know? so I see your um, point, and I think there's validity to it, but I guess then my next question would be, how does the average working American um, relate to a trust fund baby who was born rich, failed repeatedly at business, and um, it's just essentially a charlatan, uh, you know, a con man that, like, um, has used this, like, image he created for himself in the 1980s to stay relevant um, and figure out ways to have Russian banks continue to loan him money even though he's, like 
gone bankrupt three or four times. Like, how does a working person who just, or an average American relate to this clown? I don't understand that. <laughs> like, I don't get that part of it, right? Like, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't get the appeal. Um, I mean, I've had some people that I've tried to ask because I'm open. So I want to know, like, Trump supporters' point of view. And I try to when I'm in those situations, get their point of view in a respectful way um, and try to hear them out for what their reasons are. And, I mean, I have come across a few that it's just a pragmatic self-interest decision and the fact that, like, my issue that I care about is, um, is the Second Amendment. And I know that even though Donald Trump is indecent and is a liar and a cheat and all these other things, I know that he's going to represent my interest on the issue that I care about. He's going to protect the Second Amendment. Or my issue is that I care about, I'm a pro-life voter, and he's going to appoint judges that are going to potentially yeah. overturn. Yeah. So, I mean, well, that I... makes a case for impeachment versus just voting him out next year. Right. Because it's not that much further away until <laughs> that option is available right and that option is much more in the control right. of the average american citizen right yeah i mean i'm, I'm not under any delusion that he's actually going to get co um, convicted in the senate and removed from office before the election but i do think it is important um for the republican senators that have uh, cast their lot with this um this president that cares more about Vladimir Putin's interests than he does about the United States of America's interests. Like, I do think it's important for those senators that have to go on the record and own it by voting to to not convict him of, um, of you know, of being unfit to be our president. So I think that's important as far as from a historical context. All right. What so, if we switch now from who's unfit to be president yeah. over to who is fit to be president? All right. You want to cover the uh, Democratic presidential debates? Yeah, let's do that. So, um, so we just had a debate, I think, Wednesday night, maybe? The, tonight's Friday, by the way. Uh, recording on a Friday... I guess the Friday before Thanksgiving 2019. Uh, so um, the most recent debate, um, I'll start with my number one highlight. It's by Yang Gang. Yang Gang, baby. Hashtag Yang Gang. Yeah. Andrew Yang uh, had my favorite moment of the debate. Um, the moderator asked him a question about if you win the presidency, what would you say to Vladimir Putin in... Uh, your first conversation with him after taking office and Andrew Yang without skipping a beat said uh, sorry that I beat your guy <laughs> <laughs> that was my favorite moment of the debate um, but generally speaking it kind of was the same thing as the last several debates there's a fight for the soul of the Democratic Party between the progressive wing of Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren versus the more establishment wing of the party 
that is arguing that their ideas are too far to the left to, and um, are not um, tenable to the average American voters and are at risk of getting Trump reelected. Um, you know, the whole arguments about uh, Medicare for all forces people out of a choice to choose their own health care and those kinds of arguments um, were front and center as they are on every debate. Um, so um, where are you thinking so far with this election? Does anybody appeal to you, stand out? Like, Well, I'm glad to see Bernie um, back in the ring. Yeah. Um, I really appreciated his campaign in 2016. Um, I hear a lot of momentum for Warren with student loan forgiveness. Yeah. And how many of us are just saddled with debt and how much of a difference that could make. For so many of us, um, I, I'm, I, I like Andrew Yang. I, I do. I, I like the concept of universal basic income. I've heard that his platform for it has some holes in it, and I, I don't recall what they are right now. Maybe one of them was that um, the freedom dividend of $1,000 a month would um, offset any other aid you were already receiving. So you're not actually getting another $1,000 a month. You're just getting a different $1,000 a month from what you were already getting. Yeah, so that's, that's in part how the Freedom Dividend is already paid for. Because it's the other programs which would no longer become necessary to continue because now the Freedom Dividend takes over. So it's really just rebranding funds that are already going out. Yeah. So if you receive $1,000 a month in housing assistance and food stamps, you're going to start getting a $1,000 freedom dividend a month instead. You can do whatever you want with it because that becomes your money instead of a specific target expense. But it's really still for the same things. You know, and, and so I think if you're receiving financial aid in excess of the freedom dividend, you still get the excess amount from those buckets. But the freedom dividend, if you were getting nothing else before, yeah, is like a thousand bucks a month extra in your pocket. Um, in in the case of uh, middle class, you know, folks, yeah. Um, where, you know, I don't know. I, I don't think there's... If I asked 100 people, I don't know if anyone would turn it down. Yeah. Everybody would accept an extra $1,000 a month from anywhere. As long as they weren't going to be, like, arrested for accepting it in the in the process. So I like Andrew Yang. I do. Um, um, trying to think. The- Oh, can I just jump in with another funny moment from the debate? Sure. Um, Joe Biden, God bless him, was uh, talking about uh, the Violence Against Women Act and how violence against women 
is a issue that is extremely important and we need to deal with. And he used a very unfortunate metaphor. Um, he says, we got to punch this issue. We got to keep punching and punching and punching at it until we, until we fix it. Uh, so that was pretty funny. Um, we were, uh, passing around jokes like we have to batter the shit out of this issue. (laughs) Uh, that's crazy. I, I didn't get to watch the debates. I've, I've been largely um, disconnected, um, taking a, a mental health break. Yeah, that's from, important. From politics and, and, and the debates and the impeachment hearings. Yeah, I, I periodically have to take a mental health break from watching coverage of Donald Trump. And I, and I have been keeping up in other news with uh, a lot of local. And so in Aurora, where I live in Colorado, um, there have been, in recent weeks, um, municipal elections. Yep. And uh, there was a race for mayor, for example, where there was a very progressive candidate who uh, the the left and the progressive left and, and, and the Democratic Socialists of America and stuff like that were all backing... Um, but he was up against a conservative, uh, not an incumbent, but Mike Kaufman, you may know, and he was a congressman, a congressman from, from CD six in Colorado, uh, the fighting sixth, the fighting sixth, (laughs) Uh, sponsored by Elysian, Elysian. Um, so Mike Kaufman entered the mayor race. When he was not successful in his re-election campaign to uh, the House. And uh, so, yeah, a little bit of a domino effect there. Um, Ultimately, Mike Kaufman won the mayoral election. It it was very close. It took some some runoff uh, uh, counting, curing ballots for like about a week after Election Day. Um, and then in a couple of wards uh, where there were elections for ward seats, um, progressive candidates did prevail. And uh, uh, Ward 4, where I live, um, had an incumbent who uh, had is a retired city attorney. And he worked there at the city of Aurora, God, longer than I've been alive. Okay, so he's forgotten more than I would ever know. So you have one candidate who's got all the knowledge and all the experience of any candidate ever. Yeah. And then the other candidate coming in, um, progressive, um, 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 you know, labeled, you know, socialist and, and, and you know, um, really attacked by a lot of people like within the ward. Um, for, for being radical or extreme or whatever. Um, but with really a, a heart of gold, you know, that you know, like he wants um, for, 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 for everyone with nobody left behind, you know, that kind of rhetoric. Yeah. Um, and so he won. Cool. Yeah. Um, grassroots campaign, a lot of doors, a lot of volunteers, a lot of endorsements by the end, organized labor. Um, so... You know, uh, that's I think one of the one of the reasons why 
over the last several decades we've been under such fierce attack is because of how good we are at fighting for our rights. <laughs> right. And getting those folks elected who will stand up for working families once they're in office, right? So yeah. uh, in Ward 4, Juan uh, will be that individual, that, that council member. And so will Allison Coombs in Ward 5. Um, she was up against, she's another progressive uh, candidate who is a, a, a council member elect now. Um, and she was up against a very established uh, conservative uh, council member who had served, oh, I think it was nine years already on council, and then a bunch of years prior to that on some boards and commissions and things. Um, and so, yeah, there are a lot of, uh, a couple of progressive wins in Aurora, and they both had the endorsements of various labor organizations. Um, they had the support of various labor organizations, um, going out and knocking on doors, uh, getting together in phone banking, text banking, which is really popular right now. Oh yeah. Text banking. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'm kind of a futurist female, you know? Um, so, um, uh, my wife and I are having a baby daughter, uh, in the next few weeks and for Allison specifically, who wasn't my ward, but, you know, uh, she and I attended some Citizens Academies together at Aurora, and so I got to know her, like, on a personal level before I even knew she was ever going to run for an office like this, and so I felt, you know, kind of an affinity toward her, yeah. uh, more specifically than anybody else currently, or even in the last couple of years, so I told Allison, like, I did, like, my own you know, a little public post, like, please vote for Allison, right? If she's, if you're in her ward, um, which most of my contacts and things on like Facebook and stuff, they're not, but you know, it's still the gesture that I just put it out there and was public about it. Come on now. Don't sell yourself short, Jason Michael. <laughs> yeah, I think there were, you run deep in Aurora <laughs> politics. There were like there. a couple dozen likes on that post. <laughs> I mean, uh, but no, so, so yeah, so Allison, I, I came out publicly for, um, to say, you know, let, let's, let's, let's get Allison elected, right? Um, the future is female, I think. Awesome. Yeah. So, so we had a good election season in Aurora, uh, locally. Interesting. And is in the news. In interesting, news. uh, non sequitur factoid. Jason Michael, did you know that Lizzo once lived in Aurora for a year and worked at King Supers. I did not know that. Um, what we don't know is when she lived there, right. by, by the article that we uh, pulled that up on. Um, Wikipedia. Yeah. This, Wikipedia, this... <laughs> future sponsor of the podcast. Wikipedia, no stuff. <laughs> no stuff. Also, future sponsor of the... Uh, podcast King Supers. It's like Wegmans or H E B, except in Colorado. <laughs> uh, Wikipedia. When you gotta get that paper in tomorrow. No man on the Minnesota Vikings. And that's that's that was in other news. Okay, we are almost. At a wrap. We are. For season one. 
Season one. All right. Three uh, years in the making. The closing here would be local news or local, like, uh, clo- uh, closing you and I. Yeah. Right? People, the, um, you know, the, the, the loyal listeners want to know what's been going on with us. Yeah, I'm willing to forego that part. <laughs> oh, no, okay. I'm just kidding. Yeah. I already said my wife and I are about to have a baby, and that's kind of why this is a wrap on season one, is so that we can keep it loose as far as when, if we do get to reconvene on this, and we'll just start a season two. And it's, you know, in my for me, it's been mainly for just for personal you know, entertainment and exploration a little bit of a space that I know absolutely nothing about. So it's been a it's been a fun run these last four episodes, including tonight. Um, but we're gonna close the curtain on it for a little while, and it may never open again. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, with a baby on the way, I I I already don't know what I don't know. So the, I think tomorrow. the thing that listeners want to know is if. Um, as they followed along in the first three episodes of the podcast, they want to know what's new with your pursuit of becoming the, the union CEO. The union CEO, yes. Yeah, well, it looks like I'm going to be John Ledger to that punch, right? <laughs> um, so I still, I still have, I still hold on to that vision of building an organization someday that um, utilizes and partners with organized labor from day one, from its inception. Right. Right? And then in that vision, it's like where productivity is like not really through the roof because, you know, I don't want to bend people to the point where they would break. I want, you know, working conditions that are uh, extremely favorable you know, perhaps the, the type that have the shortened weeks and things, right? Where you still make the same money, but you spend less hours making it and you get to have more of a life, you know, outside of work. Yeah. Those kind of work, the quality of life conditions and things, right? Yeah. But, but, but being, you know, the kind of business owner, unlike most business owners today who are told that organized labor is bad, well, I don't buy it. Right. Right. I don't know if I'll get to the point with building my own little side hustles here, if it'll ever take off and become like a legitimate company. But if it does get from, you know, that point A to that point B, then rest assured, based on my experience in organized labor, I would be looking at how can I leverage organized labor into this mix so that, you know, uh, much of what I need to make sure is covered is really on autopilot from there on. Right. Um, so, you know, I, I do have a project or two that I'm... I have, a pro, I have one project that I'm working on right now. It's really about building um, just a side hustle stream of income uh, for myself. Yeah. But it still has the capacity to take off and be so much more than that, which is what I love about it and gets me really excited about it, you know? Absolutely. Um, yeah, so if it never becomes anything more than a self-employment side hustle, that's fine too. It doesn't create opportunities for building uh, power in our movement for uh, organized labor. Right. Um, but, I mean, that'll always be at my core, you know, now going forward in everything I do. And I think that's all that anybody ever wanted uh, who 
who I came into contact with throughout my years, you know, at our union. Yep. And let me just say, uh, th- well, thanks for getting us updated on the union CEO quest. Um, but let me also just say on behalf of Solidarity Radio, congratulations on the little one on the way. We're all super excited uh, for you and your wife here at Solidarity Radio and Union Underground. So um, I think we have some leftover plain white onesies yeah. that you can um, take some Sharpies like we were doing at the uh, baby shower. Uh-huh. And you can make a Solidarity Radio onesie, maybe. There we go. Those would be, like, prime sellers. Yeah. Um, and then... I'd uh, buy that for a dollar. And then maybe we could sell them at Babies R Us. Yeah. And then maybe Babies R Us could be a future sponsor of the podcast. Cool. Babies R Us. Dress your children. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, and then last but not... Oh, hey, no, not last but not least, my goodness. Ted James. Yo. Your turn. My turn. What's going on in the world of Ted James? Uh, Well, I I think we, you know, talk extensively about organizing, so um, maybe I'll just update the listeners a little bit about um, um, uh, a music project that I'm working on right now. Um, so, uh, anyway, I've got a new mixtape, um, trying to, um, I'm currently recording and trying to finish, uh, by somewhere in the range of spring, summer 2020. Um, definitely want to get this project out before the general election of 2020. Um, uh, but the project's called Resist, um, and I don't want to, like, tease or spoil too much of it. But I am willing to do one thing um, on this podcast tonight. Um, I am willing to um, give a, a world-exclusive sneak peek uh, release of one of the verses. Um, what? One of the verses of this um, of this mixtape that uh, I'll play as the outroad music for tonight's season finale, episode four of Solidarity Radio. Well, you heard it here first, folks. World exclusive! World exclusive! <laughs> Another one. Another one. All right. This is a, a, a segment we like to call Would You Rather. Would You Rather. Okay, this one said that it was the hardest Would You Rather questions on the internet. Well, that's definitely um, Solidarity Radio material, then. Let's get it. All right. Oh, I don't know if I can ask that one. Okay. Not to, yeah. Uh, Let's keep it. All right. All right. We'll keep it like PG-13. PG-13 with an occasional F-bomb. Yeah. Would you rather have a dog with a cat's personality or a cat with a dog's personality? (laughs) I would rather have a cat with a dog's personality because A... My wife and I travel constantly, and I feel like having a dog is another level of financial or and or logistics responsibility. Uh huh. You can't like, um, you can't go out of town with without boarding them or having somebody to come and check in on them regularly. Whereas if you have cats, you could potentially go away for 
couple nights, leave a bunch of food and water, fresh litter box, they're good to go. So, so I'm a cat person for that reason, uh, primarily right now. I grew up with dogs. I love dogs. Uh, but one thing I don't like about my cats is that like when I've gotten home from a long road trip and I'm excited to see them and I walk in the door and they're just like, Oh, okay, you're home now. <laughs> so I would rather have a cat with the dog's personality so that when I got home, after being on the road for a while, they would run up and be excited to see me. Yeah, okay. Uh, next question. If you were reborn in a new life, would you rather be alive in the past or the future? Oh, totally the future. Future, okay. I'm just too curious by nature. I want to see how this thing's going to go. You know? You've already seen the past. You want to see the future. <laughs> yep. Okay. Would you rather eat no candy at Halloween or no turkey at Thanksgiving? Uh, I mean, I'm uh, 41 years old. I got I to gotta say no candy at Halloween because I love turkey. Like Adam Sandler, I love me some turkey. <laughs> love to eat turkey. Um, so yeah, I have to pass up the sugar on Halloween. All right. <laughs> okay, we'll go with a slightly less PG-13 one here. Right on. Would you rather eat shit that tasted like chocolate or eat chocolate that tasted like shit? <laughs> I mean, at least it's chocolate still. Yeah. I, I gotta go. I'd go with the latter for me. Yeah, I gotta go with chocolate that uh, tasted like shit for sure. <laughs> All right. Well, that's all the Wait, time no, we no, have no, for no, today. No, 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 no. Pass that, pass that list, my friend. This is a two-way street. All right. Um, would you rather have a Lamborghini in your garage or a bookcase with 9,000 books and infinite knowledge? Whoa. I think I'll take the Lamborghini. <laughs> Why? <laughs> I don't need that much knowledge. Okay. That's like overboard. Okay. Would you rather have free Wi-Fi wherever you go or have free coffee where, whenever you want? The Wi-Fi. Definitely the Wi-Fi. Um, all right. Here's a good one. Would you rather have no one show up for your wedding or your funeral? Oh, man. Um, I'd rather... Nobody show up to my funeral so that my wife can have a wedding with lots of people surrounding us from our friends and family. Okay. I don't care about my funeral. I'm not there anymore. Right. That's what I would say. Yeah. All right. Would you rather run at 100 miles an hour? Hell yeah. You haven't heard the alternative. Okay. Or fly at 10 miles an hour. Oh, shit. I still want to fly, though. <laughs> yeah. Even at 10 miles an hour, I'll eventually get there. But to just fly direct to wherever you want to go? That'd be pretty dope. Yeah. For sure. I know. It would take a really long time, though, at 10 miles an hour to get anywhere. That's like just flying around town, really. Unless you can fly in your sleep, though. 
and then maybe it's fine, you know? Just chart a course for, you know, Vegas and wake yourself up when you get there. All right. That makes a lot of sense. Um, I would rather fly as I'd well. rather fly. Running at 100 miles an hour, though, gets you, you know, to like, say, Phoenix in eight hours or something, you know? Very true. I don't know. <laughs> You'd win a lot of gold medals. <laughs> yeah. That's a positive. Yeah. Um, all right, buddy, old pal, old chum, old podcast buddy. Yeah. Would you rather win $50,000 for yourself or let your best friend win $500,000? Oh, wow. I'd let my best friend win five hundred, and then yeah. I'd just ask for a loan. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> I'm saying, cut me in on that. Uh, yeah. Shit, ten per. Uh, yeah, that's that's ten percent. Twenty percent is double fifty. Yeah. Okay, and here is the last question of the night. Okay. The season finale ending question of Would You Rather. Dun dun dun. This is where a sound effect machine with like drum roll or something. Yeah, we're low tech here. Yeah. We're not low budget. We're no budget. No budget. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We don't even have shoestrings. <laughs> right. That's why we can only put out one episode every 18 months. 18 months. months. Come on, sponsors. Come on, Adelitas. Come on, Elysian. <laughs> Come on, King Supers. Come on, Babies R Us. Let's get this money. Let's work together. Holla at your boys. All right. You ready for this one? Bring it on. All right. Would you rather be able to talk your way out of any situation or punch your way out of any situation? I'd rather be able to talk my way out of any situation. Ah, played like a a true... I don't throw punches. Played like a true diplomat. Yes, But luckily, we have a candidate in the race for president that is going to punch us out of the domestic violence situation. (laughs) (laughs) He is. He is. He's gonna um he's gonna brutally batter that um problem into submission. Yeah. Oh I heard that he had a gaffe over marijuana legalization. Oh yeah. Uh Booker Booker challenged him about um being against legalizing marijuana as a as a racial justice issue because it's black and brown. People that are predominantly incarcerated for marijuana offenses. Incarcerated for Nonviolent yeah. marijuana offenses. Which yeah, is, everybody's using it, but <coughs> not everybody's being arrested for it. Right. All right, y'all. That concludes the first season of season Solid one. Solidarity Radio. In the books. Done. Over. Finito. We will catch you on the flippity flop. Good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Another one. Another one. Allow me to reintroduce myself. My name is Don. To the O-N Pussy, keep it open Backseat, bed I'm broken Neck, choking hair, pulling faith Broken, got feeling fresh out The frying pan into the fire Jeffrey Epstein, my number one supplier 
higher than the solar tower bearing my name Senator Mitch McConnell, that bitch is wearing my chain That's right, Don, not GOP But no one can do it better once we make your morals fester I check pageants like a breast inspector Eugene Carroll fought, I finished my breakfast So that's what I'ma do, take it back to Jessica Kristen and Jill, Kathy and Temple Karina and Bridget, Tasha and Mindy Rachel and Natasha and the list ain't done like black This ain't a movie, dog. Janice, in the words of Randy Marsh, fuck you.